0: You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Our sermon text this morning is from Acts 22. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in Aramaic, they became even quieter. He continued, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gemeliel, according to the strictness of our ancestral law. I was zealous for God, just as all of you are today. I persecuted this way to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail, as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. After I received letters from them to the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to arrest those who were there and bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. Now verse 30. The next day, since he wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and instructed the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to convene. He brought Paul down and placed him before them. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience to this day. The high priest Ananias ordered those who were standing next to him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. You are sitting there judging me according to the law, and yet in violation of the law are you ordering me to be struck? Those standing nearby said, do you dare revile God's high priest? I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, replied Paul, for it is written, you must not speak of evil of a ruler of your people. When Paul realized that one part of them were Sadducees and the other part were Pharisees, he cried out in the Sanhedrin, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am being judged because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, and neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees affirm them all. The shouting grew loud, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party got up and argued vehemently, We find nothing evil in this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? When the dispute became violent, the commander feared that Paul might be torn apart by them and ordered the troops to go down, take him away from them, and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Have courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it is necessary for you to testify in Rome."
1: This is God's word. Yeah. Good morning. Kiss uh, you. Didn't hear my name before. My name is Aaron. I'm, I'm, you know, me and Chad are the two pastors here, and um, so we're continuing in our our series in the book of Acts. So we're in uh, chapter twenty one, starting in verse thirty seven, and going all the way through chapter twenty three, verse eleven. Um, if you have a Bible you pull it up and um, open it up. There's a lot, of, a lot of scripture here. If you don't have a Bible, we have some um, under the chairs in, in front of you. If you use one of those Bibles, it's on page 634 is, is where we are. Um, you know, last week, Paul came into to Jerusalem. He was, it was the end of his missionary journey, his third missionary journey. He knew that, um, that suffering was, was going to come in Jerusalem. But he pressed on, and, and um, that suffering began. He... Um, you know he was he was coming into the temple he had he tried to tried to appease the the Jews there by um you know following this vow shaving his head paying for these um these four other men to to shave their heads to to show that he was serious about the law but um but that wasn't good enough you know the the jews there they they had seen Paul in the city with um with a greek person and and just assumed that he brought this this Greek into the temple with him defiling the temple um and they, you know, they captured him, brought him into custody, and, and he was captured, and, um, and that's, so that's where we start. Throughout the book of Acts, as a whole, we've, we've seen the Holy Spirit at work. You know, we talk about how um, it's called Acts because it's, it's short for Acts of the Apostles, uh, but we talk about how it could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is, is continuing to work. When Luke, you know, starts off the book of Acts, he refers back to the Gospel of Luke as, as the story of all that Jesus began to do and teach. You know, Jesus, God, is, is still working, still working through these ordinary people and, and um, in the midst of, of crazy situations. We see the Holy Spirit has, has been working in, in Paul's life. Back in his conversion in, in chapter 9, the Lord, speaking to, to Ananias, said, go, go to, to Paul, because this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to, to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. In this section, we see we see the Holy Spirit at work in Paul's life. We see you know, the, the Holy Spirit is able to work through Paul's background. You know, his he came as a he was born as a Roman citizen and he, he studied under Gamaliel, the respected rabbi, and, and his background helped shape him. He also had milestones in his life that, that affected him for decades. you know this is this is probably twenty years after his his conversion but he still is able to recount it recount that story almost word for word of what Jesus said to him because it was a milestone in his life we also see his experience his knowledge of the uh, of his rights as a Roman citizen you know kept him from from being flogged like he like he was about to his knowledge of the, the Sanhedrin and the dynamics between the the Pharisees and the Sadducees God is able to to work through these things in Paul these his background milestones his experience as I was thinking about those those three ideas, I was trying to think of a, a, good, a good illustration, and uh, I decided on a movie from two thousand one. Two thousand one is a, a big year for for movies. Uh, it was the beginning of the the greatest trilogy ever, Lord of the Rings. Fellowship of the Ring came out that year, but I am not doing that movie. The beginning of the the best uh, eight movie series about a wizard, Harry Potter, started that year too. Um, it was also the the year of the best. Movie about a blonde Harvard law student, Legally Blonde. <laughs> um, I thought about Elle Woods. You know, she had a background that helped her. You know, she was she came from this rich background. She she was part of this sorority and um, had these leadership in that sorority that that helped shape her. She had a milestone in her life when her boyfriend broke up with her because she wasn't serious enough. That shaped her. It made her want to go to Harvard. And she also had experience. When she, near the end of the movie, when she's helping in this murder case, she has experience with with beauty products and and hair care. And that helps her make a a crack in the case. She knows that that the person, I'm I'm spoiling it, but it's 20 (laughs) 20 years old, so. um, Oh, well. You haven't seen it. (laughs) Yeah, so she makes the crack in the case. You know, she knows that the, the person that said she got a perm said she was washing her hair that, that same day, was lying because it didn't mess up her perm. So she made the, the case and, and knew that, that she murdered it, murdered the, um, you know the old man. Um, so, milestone, background, experience. God is able to work through those things. God is able to use Paul, and, and in that same way, God is able to use us. We know that God works through our backgrounds. You know, we have, we have milestones in our life that, that shaped us, that affect us, that affect the way, the way we view the world in a lot of ways. And we have experience. We have skills and, and experience. We have this, this unique set of, of backgrounds, milestones, and experiences that God can use to help us accomplish his will. You know, I shared, a, I shared this quote before um, from a podcast I heard you know, usually spoken to to children, but, you you know, this lady says, you're the only you there's ever gonna be. And there's something about you that can reveal something about God in a way that nobody else can. And if we flip that a little bit, just thinking about the way that that God can use us, there's something about us that God can use in a way that, that he can't use anybody else. There's something about you that can help King's Cross in a way that nobody else can. There's something about you, something about your background, your milestones, your experience that can be used to impact the kingdom in a way that nobody else can. So I want to um, just pray as we as we get started, as we dive into the text and, and ask God for for him to work through us and, and just show us how he can work. Let's pray. Father God, to thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the way that we can we can trust what you've written in the scriptures, what you've passed along to us. Thank you for the, uh, just the time that we have together to, to worship together, to sing together, to pray together, and to open up your scriptures. Pray that you would be with us. Pray that you would speak through me and um, just help us to, to hear from you. Help us to have soft hearts and, and um, that you would bold us into being more like Jesus. And it's in his name I pray, amen. Alright, so, so Paul's background, we see um, chapter 21, verse 37, down through two five. We, saw that, we see that Paul's background as a, as a Roman citizen from an important city and his study under the respected rabbi Gamaliel, it helped shape him. You know, it, it affected him. So verse 37, you know, he's, he's brought into the barracks and, and he asks the commander if he can say something to him. The commander says, You know how to speak Greek? Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt some time ago and led four thousand men of the assassins into the wilderness? So clearly there's you know some um some misunderstanding of of why you know what this mob was about, why why Paul is even in custody in the first place. But he he points back to his his background, he points back to his his citizenship. He says, I am a Jewish man from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of an important city. I ask you to let me Speak to the people, and so this background, this um, citizenship that he has, being from this important people, that um, that shows the the commander, you know that that Paul's you know a man worthy of respect. That gives him permission to to speak to the people. So he he asks to, to speak to the people, and and the commander gives him permission. So we see Paul's Paul's Greekness, you know his his Roman citizenship. He's able to, to navigate that world, and then. You know, he literally changes languages. You know, he addresses the people in Aramaic. So we see that he has the Greek, Roman side, and he also has the Jewish side. He comes and, and he speaks to them in, in Aramaic, which, which causes this, this great hush. They know, okay, this is a, a Jewish, serious person speaking to us in, in our language. He uses familial language. He calls them brothers and, and fathers. You know, I'm, I'm one of you guys, I'm a Jew. Just like you, I'm speaking in Aramaic. You're my brothers and, and fathers. So he's, in this speech, he's, he's trying to get them to, to take him seriously. You know, He's trying to, to show that that his life is, is consistent. He talks about his his background. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, verse two, um, educated, or, or so brought up in, in this city, in Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the law, of our ancestors and he said he points back to his, his zeal right he was zealous zealous for the law I was zealous for God just as all of you are today so these these Jews that are you know that, that have caused this commotion they've they started this mob they're zealous they're passionate and Paul says he was just like them I was zealous just like you and he points to his, his references right he said I persecuted this way to the death resting put arresting and putting both men and women in jail and he points his references as, as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me he said that they um, they gave him letters as he as he went to Damascus he had these letters on, from the council of elders you know that kind of makes me think of um, in cop shows when um, you know the cops need a, need a warrant and they, they basically per- personally know a judge they have have the phone number, so they call a the judge and say, Hey, I need a need a warrant. The judge trusts him, give him the give him the warrant, lets them, you know, continue on in their case. That's that kind of idea here that, that Paul is respected by the, the high priest, the council of elders. They give him this letter to, to go to Damascus to um to do this persecution. So he's got the the Greek and, and Roman Background being from Tarsus, being a Roman citizen, he's got the Jewish background, these Jewish credentials that he's he's got the history with the high priest, high priest and the, the council of elders, studying under Gamaliel, and that background affects him. It it shapes him. He gets permission to speak to the crowd because of that, and um, he's able to to connect with them as well. I want you to think about the the things in in your background that that shape you. You know. um, Growing up over, overseas, uh, me and Jessica both, you know, we're, uh, we're TCKs, third culture kids. And there's something about being a TCK that, that affects us and shapes us. Azealia is, is as well. And so sometimes we'll, we'll hang out with the Scots and Micah is the only adult that's not a TCK. And something, something that we do will stand out to Micah. He's like, you TCKs are so weird. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't even like realize it, but there's, there's something about our background that, that shapes us. So what's that look like for you? Think about how you can leverage your background as an opportunity to serve the Lord. Paul never, never gave up on that. He's in custody, and he's looking for opportunities to, to use his background, to um, use to speak. Many of us grew up in, in Christian homes, and that, that shapes us. You know, it can be... Um, Obviously it's a it's a good thing to be able to hear the gospel, but, but sometimes it's hard for us to, to differentiate what's what's Christian and what's cultural. In our backgrounds, we we think that you know everything we do is is because we're Christian. We don't we don't realize what's what's cultural. So I want to encourage you to just to live in, in humility and, and ask God to to show you how He can use you because of your background and and how He can work through you. So Paul and us, shaped by our backgrounds, Paul was also profoundly Im- impacted by his conversion. He shares that that story and um, shares about that milestone in his life. You probably have you know some uh some moments in your life that that stand out that you can remember perfectly almost one of mine is um a few years ago when uh when, when Jessica was was pregnant with Titus she uh she had a lot of a lot of chronic pain a lot of hip and, and pelvic pain it affected her kind of sapped her energy and and bandwidth and you know she would she would drop something on the floor and, and kind of have to weigh if it if it was worth picking up because it caused so much pain and even after Titus was born that, that pain didn't go away for a couple years of, of that where she was she was just drained and, and uh it was a struggle. And I remember in a church service at Mount day, um, we sang the song Sovereign Over Us, we actually sang it here last week. There's a line in there that says, even in the valley you are faithful, you're working for our good. Even what the enemy means for evil, you're working for our good. I remember singing that song and just, just being angry at God. I remember thinking like, how long are we gonna be in this valley, God? And then Jess had surgery, and, and it, it healed her. And she didn't have that chronic pain anymore. And, and we were out of, out of that valley. And I didn't, I didn't instantly change the thankfulness like I, said, like I should have. We sang that song again a couple of months later after Jess was out of the pain, and it, it reminded me that I hadn't been thankful to the Lord. Even in the valley, you're we faithful. That's all I remember sti- sitting there in that worship service singing that song and, and just having a wave of emotion as I realised that the Lord was faithful through all of that. In spite of my anger, in spite of my um, Yeah, my lack of trust in him. So that was a that was a milestone moment for me that, you know, even now as I as I face suffering and challenges, I know that, that God's faithful in a new way. Paul's milestone is his conversion. On the road to Damascus, he, he recounts the story almost almost word for word. You know, he says, um, he's traveling about about noon, so the brightest time of the day, and he, he says there's a light that's so intense, it blinds him. So it's clearly a, a supernatural event. You know, the companions around him aren't affected. Like down in verse 11, um, you know, it says he couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, but he was led by the hands of his companions. So they, they weren't blinded. It was, it was just Paul. That light just affected him. It's supernatural. He, he knows that, that it's a divine encounter. You know, when, when the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He calls the, the voice Lord. He says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus, Nazareth, the one you're persecuting. Jesus tells him to go to Damascus and, and Paul's life is is forever changed. He says, there you'll be told everything that you have been assigned to do. God has these, these tasks that, that Paul is assigned to do. So he's led to Damascus and he met um, Ananias. So this is likely a, a milestone moment for, for Ananias, too. Back in Acts chapter 9, um, you know, Ananias has a has a vision and he knows that, that Paul is a persecutor. He knows that Paul is coming to to Damascus to to persecute. But God tells him to um, just to welcome Paul in. And so remember that, you know, in this, Paul is trying to, you know, show his um, show his faithfulness to the to the Jews. And so when he introduces Ananias in the story, he says, um that Ananias was a devout man according to the law. He had a good reputation with all the Jews living there. So Ananias is, is well respected and um, but he's a, he's a believer and he welcomes Paul in as a brother. So Ananias came, stood by Paul and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. So he welcomes in, him in as a brother. And then Ananias kind of foreshadows what, what Paul's going to do. You know, he says that, um, you know, the God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, to hear the words from his mouth. Then it says, since you will be a witness for him to all people of what you have seen and heard. All people, Jews and and Gentiles. Ananias encourages Paul to be baptized. In verse 16, why are you delaying? Get up and, and be baptized. Wash away your sins, call on his name. So Ananias welcomes Paul into the faith, knows that he is a brother, showing that, that Paul's life has, has been forever changed. As he comes back to, to Jerusalem, he, he shares of, of his experience hearing from the Lord. He says he was in the temple praying and, and he fell into a tra- trance, and the, the Lord told him to, to get out of Jerusalem. Hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly. They'll not accept your testimony about me. God told him to leave, and, and Paul, you know, he points back to his his previous zeal. You know, he says that you know he should be should be welcomed back. People should know that that he um, that he's he's honest because um, because of his previous zeal. Even even the way that that he stood by as as Stephen was was being stoned, he stood there giving approval guarding the clothes of, of those who killed him. So that should be good enough. But it wasn't. They would not accept his, his testimony. <clears throat> that was all the way back right after his conversion. And even now, he knows that they're not going to accept his testimony either. Paul has had this history of, of Jews, but, or history with, with the Jews. But his conversion affected him so much that he is willing to, to be bold in the midst of this Knowing that he used to he used to seek fulfillment in following the law good enough, he used to seek fulfillment in in being the most zealous, doing the most persecution, but he knew that that fell short that wasn't enough so the way that the the gospel impacted him, the way that that he knows now that fulfillment comes through Christ, it lets him know that his future is secure it lets him know that that your Jewishness is not your way to, to the Lord. It's not your way to salvation. And so, as he continues his, his story, he shares that, that God sent him to the Gentiles. Verse 21 He said to me, Go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And that riles up the crowd. The Jews don't want God to send people to the Gentiles. They listened to him up to this point. Verse 22, they raised their voices and they shouted, wipe this man off the face of the earth. He should not be allowed to live. So Paul has been shaped by this milestone moment that gives him insight into the, into the Jewish way of life. He knows the way that they're trying to find their fulfillment and their zeal, trying to find their fulfillment and following the law perfectly. And he's able to have boldness to, to speak against them. I think of um, people who have been abused. A lot of times they have profound insight into the way that abuse works and the way that they're able to, to use their voice now after, after they've, they've been through it to speak for current victims. There's a lady named Rachel Denhollander who was sexually abused when, by, her, by her doctor when she was a gymnast. She was the first one to, to come forward against the abuser, Larry Nasser. She paved the way for hundreds of others who also spoke up. And now, she has dedicated her life to, to speaking up on, on behalf of victims, survivors of sexual abuse. She's gotten a, a degree in law and she's able to, to help institutions and, and systems uncover abuse, protect against it, serve the, the survivors. That was a milestone in her life that could have destroyed her. Many people never come back from from sexual abuse like that. It was a milestone in her life and it shaped her. It helped her change her, her views. Just like Paul, this milestone in his life affected him, gave him boldness and let him, let him speak on behalf of others. So I want to encourage you to think about what are the milestone moments in your life? What has shaped you? What has given you a unique perspective that you can help help our church see things in a way that that we wouldn't see them without you? So Paul, his conversion from from a zealous persecutor to a passionate believer had a major ramification for his life and we also see his experience navigating the Jewish and and Roman worlds. We see how God is able to use that. the third section, experience, chapter 22, verse 23, down through 2311. We see Paul's experience in the Roman world, his knowledge of of his rights as a Roman citizen. That helps him. And then his knowledge of the dynamics in the Sanhedrin, the differences between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. God is able to use that as well. You know, we'll see later in, in Acts that you know Paul has opportunities to speak to to bigger and bigger audiences, basically, higher and higher up the chain. So God is able to to use his experience to continue to work through Paul. Many of you are, are familiar with the musical Hamilton. Um, I'm gonna share a little bit of history, but just keep in mind the the history that I know only comes from the musical. So I don't know if it's I don't know if it's real. Um, there's a song called "The Room Where It Happens." It's a um, fun song. Aaron Burr is is sharing how he wants to be in the room where it happens. The thing, the it that he's referring to is a is a meeting between Alexander Hamilton, Thomas Jefferson, and, and James Madison. Hamilton is is trying to get his his financial plan passed, and um, he knows that he needs he needs votes. He needs the votes to get through Congress from Thomas Jefferson, James Madison. And so, in the room where it happens, they make a deal where Hamilton says, hey, let's, let's have a, a capital city down near Virginia, Washington, D.C., um, so you guys can, you know, you can work closer to home, but just pass my financial plane. And um, so he makes that deal. He's able to, to use his experience and, and knowledge and, and skills to help make this deal happen. And it's a, it's a win-win. You know, Hamilton doesn't, you know, he doesn't mind the capital being down there because the banks are going to stay in New York where, where he is. And so his financial plan passes, and um, he's, able to, um, he's able to win. So he used his, his experience, his knowledge, to make that happen. We see Paul do, do similar things. Paul's knowledge, his experience with the, uh, with the Roman commander and, and then with the Sanhedrin, um, God is able to use that. <clears throat> so, verse twenty-three. Um, this is, you know, just a, a crazy setup here. So, remember, verse twenty-two. It said, Wife this man off the face of the earth. He should not be allowed to live." They were yelling and flinging aside their garments and and throwing dust in the air. Which sounds like, like monkeys in a zoo or something, just throwing garments and throwing dust in the air. So. This is a commotion. Clearly, there's, there's something going on here. And so the commander, you know, he wants to figure it out. And so he orders, orders Paul to be, you know, scourged, interrogated with a scourge, flogged, whipped, to discover the reason they were shouting against him like this. And so, you know, just to figure it out, let's, let's beat the truth out of him. But, you know, Paul knows his, his rights as a Roman citizen, he's not going to be flogged needlessly. You know he's clearly willing to to suffer. He's been stoned and, and beaten before, but but he knows there's no purpose in um, in this suffering. So he stands up for himself as he's getting stretched out for the lash. Paul says, "Is it legal for you to scourge a man who's a Roman citizen and is uncondemned?" Um, and so he points out his his citizenship. The centurion that's you know about to beat him freaks out a little bit. He says, when he heard this, he went and reported to the commander, what are you gonna do? This man is a Roman citizen. And so the commander comes and, and says, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, he said. The commander replied, I bought this citizenship for a large amount of money. And Paul said, but, but I was born a citizen. So that means that, that Paul kind of outranks this commander. So the commander, you know, he bought his citizenship. But Paul was, was born a citizen. So this freaks the commander out a little bit. You know, he, he knows that this is like a, a real um, you know above my pay grade kind of situation. This is out of my jurisdiction. And so he sends him off to the Sanhedrin. The commander was alarmed when he realized Paul was a Roman citizen. So the next day um, he he took him to the, the chief priests, asked the the Sanhedrin to to convene. And so as as Paul comes before the Sanhedrin he says brothers I live my life before God in all good conscience to this day he's declaring his his innocence before the Sanhedrin the only way that that Paul would would be innocent is if Christianity is true Ananias this is the this is a different Ananias They, they need to have different names but Ananias number two the high priest um So he knows that that if if Paul is innocent, if what Paul is saying is true, then that changes his life, right? Then what he's been doing is is wrong. And so Ananias can't can admit that. So he accuses him of blasphemy. Because if if he's not true, then, then what he's saying is is blasphemous. And so he orders him to be struck on the mouth. This is a, a little bit of a, a funny interaction where, where Paul says, God is gonna strike you, you, you whitewashed wall. It reminds us of, of Jesus calling the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. You know, they, they look pretty and, and clean on the outside, but they're dead on the inside. So Ananias is, is a whitewashed wall. He says, you're, um, you're sitting there judging me according to the law, but in violation of the law, you're ordering me to be struck. So Paul shouldn't have been struck yet. He should have the opportunity to, to speak on, on his behalf. Ananias is not following the, the law like he should. He's declaring Paul guilty before the trial, basically. So Paul's pointing out his, his corruption. Paul is pointing to, to his own innocence. This reminds us of Jesus before the high priest. Jesus is the one that is, is truly innocent at trial. He comes before the high priest and he lived his entire life without ever sinning, without ever falling short. But he was found guilty and killed because of the corruption. The same way Ananias is corrupt here. In verse six, we we see a twist. We see Paul that um, he knows the dynamics. It says, when Paul realized that one part of them were Sadducees, the other part were Pharisees, He kind of pitted them against each other. Many of you guys have heard the the joke about why they're called Sadducees. They They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in miracles. They don't have the hope. And so they're sad, you see? So the Sadducees and the Pharisees, Paul says, he appeals to the Pharisees. He says, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, son of Pharisees. I'm being judged because of the hope of the resurrection. When he said this, the dispute broke out between them. There's there's this political um, you know, conflict between them. And it's a, it's like a enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of situation where the, the Pharisees, you know, they hate the Sadducees so much they're willing to, to take Paul on, on their side. You know, they're they're looking for, for ways to to score political points. And so as as Paul, you know, he says that he's on trial because of the hope of the resurrection, it causes this commotion. Sadducees say there's no re- resurrection. The shouting grew loud. Some of the scribes of the Pharisees party got up and argued vehemently. We find nothing evil in this man. What if a spirit or angel has spoken to him? So Paul, he knows the dynamics of the Sanhedrin. He knows his rights as a Roman citizen. That, that experience helps him. I want to encourage you to, to think through how your experience and, and skills can help you, help you work for the Lord. It was so cool that the... Um, when we went to the, the meeting of the SBC, one of the one of the most impactful times was, was the missionaries that were about to go overseas, and they're sharing their stories, sharing a little bit about themselves and um, where they're going and, and how we can pray for them. And they came from from so many different backgrounds and in so many different stages of life. And you know, some of them were like, "I work in construction, and I'm gonna I can do that overseas. I'm an accountant, I can do accounting, you know, and, and help the missionaries, and also have opportunities to." to meet and pour into unreached peoples. I'm a teacher. I can teach over there. So what does that look like for us? What are our skills and and abilities that that God can use us in so many different ways? As as we come to a close, I want to just encourage us just to think through what that looks like for us. These last couple of verses, there's, There's darkness and and light. You know, the dispute is violent. Shouting grew loud. The commander feared that Paul might be torn apart, ordered them to to take him back in. This is the the third time in these these couple chapters that that the commanders bring Paul in because they think he's about to be torn apart. Right, the mob for, for for allegedly bringing the Greek into the temple, that was one time when he said that God sent him to the Gentiles, that was the second time and here when he says that he's on trial for the hope of the resurrection. So Paul might might think that you know, that that his work here is, is kinda hopeless. He keeps having these opportunities to speak and he keeps riling up the crowd and getting taken into custody. He might think that, you know, this is the rest of his life. He's gonna be stuck here in, in Jerusalem. But God shares with him some hope. The following night, that's verse eleven, the, the Lord stood by him and said, Have courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it's necessary for you to testify in Rome. So Paul has had opportunities to, to testify about the Lord in Jerusalem. And he's gonna have those opportunities in in Rome. God gives us hope too. He has shared a plan with us. He knows Paul knows where he's going, he's no knows that he's going to have opportunity in Rome and we know where we're going. Revelation 7, 9 and 10, we see this picture of of a multitude. <clears throat> John says, after this I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people and language which no one can number standing before the throne before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. We know that That's where we're going. That there's a a multitude of people from every tribe and tongue and nation around the throne worshiping together and we're included in that. God is going to get us there and we've seen God at work all throughout Acts. We see God working in this passage through Paul's background and his milestones and his experience. And we know that that God is working in us. I want to read a few verses from Ephesians chapter 2. We were dead in our sin, sins and trespasses in which we previously lived according to the ways of this world. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We were by nature children under wrath as the other words, others were also. That might be you now. You might be still under wrath if you don't know Christ. But I want to encourage you that, that God is rich in mercy. It's verse four here. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in sin, saved by grace. That's the hope that we have. You know, we're, it's not anything in us in our backgrounds that, that God uses, right? It's not, not anything of value in, in just us. It's not because of anything in particular in our background that God chose us. But it's because of Jesus and his love for us. We're saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. It's not from works, so that no one can boast. But verse ten, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of us, ahead of time for us to do. Mm-hmm. So to encourage you that, that God has made us alive in Christ. We are his workmanship, created in him for good works. So there are good works that God has set aside for you to do. There are good works that, that God is calling you to do. And so I want to encourage you, if, if you feel like God is, is leading you in a certain way, please share that. Share that with, grab me or, or chat after the service or um, share it with a brother and sister in Christ. You can also fill out you know, our, our online forms if, um, you know, if you want to just chat separately later. Love for you to to sh- just share how God is how God is leading you. Would love to have that conversation and just see what that looks like. God has created you; He's called you to live for Him. Your ultimate fulfillment is going to be in in doing that, living for Him, using your background, your experience, the milestones in your life that have shaped you to work for Him. So don't wait any longer. Work for Him. Let's pray, Father God. I thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your, your kindness and your grace to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the just encouragement that, that we see in, in Paul's life and, and the way that even in these crazy times when, when he's in custody, we know that you're still at work. So no matter what is happening in our lives, we know that you're at work too. I pray that you would help us to, to feel your, your closeness and, and help us to, to live for you. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.